We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 281 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. It is a day on which Ron Rivera, the head coach of our commanders in a coach-centric approach, in case you haven't heard, the Don of the commanders, Don Ron will be speaking at length. The NFL's annual league meeting is taking place in Palm Beach, Florida. One of the traditions of the annual league meeting is head coaches speaking to reporters. In the past, this was done in sit-down fashion at tables uh, while people ate. Uh, reporters had breakfast with the coaches. Uh, this year, things are different. Coaches are speaking at these like mini podiums. Uh, AFC head coaches spoke on Monday morning. NFC head coaches were to speak on Tuesday morning. So we shall see what Ron Rivera has to say on Tuesday morning. The general manager of the commanders, Martin Mayhew, spoke to reporters briefly on Monday, said something about Carson Wentz that I'm going to make mention of next segment. But hello and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. The voice, as you likely can tell, still is not uh, where the voice needs to be, but bit by bit, step by step, uh, hopefully we're getting better. As the great Bobby Brown said years ago, every little step I take. Uh, But thank you uh, for the continued well wishes. I appreciate all of them. Uh, I do have a special guest for you on the show. So you hear less of me and more of somebody else. Uh, NFL agent and former Redskins salary cap analyst, J.I. Wholesale. Uh, J.I. is great at talking NFL contracts and the NFL salary cap. He's from the area. Uh, Like I said, he worked for the Skins. So we're going to cover a lot of ground with J.I. Uh, we will talk about Carson Wentz's contract situation. We will talk about potential contract extensions this offseason for Terry McLaurin and Deron Payne. Uh, we will talk about the right way of looking at the J.D. McKissick controversy with the Buffalo Bills. Off the Bills, general manager, bitter Brandon Bean, uh, being bitter at the commanders. Uh, we will talk about what it was like for J.I. to work for Dan Snyder uh, and more. Uh, you're going to enjoy 
our conversation. Speaking of conversation, uh, there was a whole lot of Carson Wentz conversation at the NFL's annual league meeting on Monday morning. Two AFC head coaches got asked about Wentz a lot. Indianapolis Colts head coach Frank Reich and Jacksonville Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson. Uh, Each guy, of course, knows Wentz well. Each guy had very good things to say about Wentz. Uh, You will hear all of those nice things. What are we to make of these nice things. Were they just things that Reich and Peterson said to, you know, be nice? Or are these things reason for us to feel better about the commanders having traded for Wentz? Uh, I will talk Capitals on the show. Uh, Monday night was not a good night for the Caps. Uh, They got smashed. A 6-1 loss to the Metropolitan Division leading Carolina Hurricanes at Capital One Arena. And I will talk Nationals on the show. The Nats on Monday afternoon optioned Luis Garcia to AAA Rochester. Uh, What has happened to the Nats' supposed second baseman slash shortstop of the future? Uh, Well, the future apparently is not now. Uh, George Allen apparently is not deciding uh, Nats roster cuts. Although, given all of the older players on the Nats in camp, uh, maybe George Allen is deciding things for the Nats these days. Who knows? All right, let's get back to some feedback, shall we? You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me. The Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jack from Maryland on Carson Wentz being the commander's starting quarterback. Writes Jack, I love your podcast. It gets me through my morning commute to work every day. I agree with you on so many topics, and you do such a great job of breaking down details of every scenario you cover, but still make it fun and exciting. Well, thank you, Jack. Very nice of you, Jack. Continues, my man, Jack. Uh, I do have one topic. I wanted to ask you about. I know you've recently said how the Carson Wentz acquisition shouldn't exclude the team from drafting a quarterback this year. I wonder if you have considered the draft assets we surrendered in getting Wentz. Uh, Not even thinking about the 2023 draft pick we gave up. Couldn't we technically think of Wentz as our pick in this year's third round? What if we never made the trade and instead took a rookie quarterback in the third round? Would the team also have drafted a quarterback in the first or second round if we did that? I can't think of another time in recent NFL history in which a team drafted two quarterbacks within the first three rounds of any one draft. The closest I can think of is RG3 and Kirk Cousins being taken in the same draft in the first and fourth rounds. Yes, we need an answer at quarterback, and yes, Wentz could get hurt or benched, but keep in mind if he plays well, we can only start one quarterback at a time in a game. Technically, you can put two quarterbacks on the field at once, but it's much easier and more justified to put two safeties or two linemen on the field at once. We shouldn't be wasting draft picks for bench warmers unless they are the next Patrick Mahomes, and in that case, wouldn't they get the start over Wentz? By the way, I'm not so sure we are close to contending in terms of just needing the quarterback, as I think there are other positions that still need focus. What if we had Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, or anyone else of your choice combined with the current roster? Does that automatically make us a contender to win it all? Hard to say, in my opinion. Bottom line, I think Wentz is the plan this season, and Heineke is his backup. I'd love to know what you think, though. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jack. Uh, I think that you're probably right. Uh, Carson Wentz is the commander's plan at quarterback for the 2022 season. Taylor Heineke appears likely to be the backup, although I do think that there's an outside chance that the commanders would trade Heineke 
if another team suffered a major quarterback injury in, say, training camp or the preseason. I would not dismiss the possibility of that. Uh, you know, this coming season is a contract season for Heineke. Taylor Heineke last season did prove that he can be a capable starting quarterback in the NFL. So to me, if you could turn Heineke into, say, I don't know, a third-round pick for a team desperate for a quarterback off a major quarterback injury, I would do that if I'm the commanders. But I recognize that the likelihood of that probably uh, isn't sky high. But yeah, barring the unforeseen, the commanders playing a quarterback for the 2022 season appears to be Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. Now, as far as considering Wentz as the commander's third round pick in the 2022 NFL draft, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, you could do that. But uh, Wentz cost more than just the 2022 third round pick. So you also have to consider him your third or even second round pick in the 2023 draft. And you have to factor in that you're dropping down five spots in the second round of the 2022 draft. And you have to factor in that you've taken on the entirety of Wentz's contract. You know, he's not a rookie. He's not on a rookie contract. So uh, if you're going to consider Carson Wentz to be the commander's 2022 third round pick, fine. But then you also have to consider him to be uh, all of those other things I just took it through. But I get what you're saying and that you can only play one quarterback at a time. My point with saying that trading for Carson Wentz shouldn't preclude the commanders from taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2022 draft is this. There are too many questions with Wentz for the commanders to just be all in on him as their quarterback answer. And so if the commanders really like a quarterback in the 2022 draft, they should take that quarterback in the 2022 draft. That's all. And if Wentz kills it as a commander's quarterback, then you could always trade the quarterback who you took in the 2022 draft, or you can have him as your QB2. And if the commanders do not like any of the quarterbacks in the 2022 draft, then they shouldn't take a quarterback in the 2022 draft. The commanders just better be right in their evaluations of the quarterbacks in the 2022 draft. But quarterback is too important of a position to not take one who you like in a draft just because you already have a guy in Carson Wentz with whom there are significant questions. Like Wentz has not earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of the commanders just passing on taking a quarterback who they like in the draft. Uh, as far as the quality of the commander's roster, so I believe that the team's roster is a middle of the pack roster. So if you're ranking NFL rosters with quarterback position not being factored, uh, I believe that the commander's roster ranks somewhere between, say, I don't know, 15th and 22nd in the NFL, all right? Something like that. Don't hold me to that ranking range, but you get the idea. There is talent on the commander's roster. There's more talent on the commander's roster than I think some people like to admit. Uh, the team in the 2021 regular season did go 7-10 and 10, despite facing the toughest schedule in the NFL for Football Outsiders DVOA metric, despite a truckload of injuries on offense, despite a major COVID outbreak late in the season, and despite the defense being a mess during a 2-6 and six start to the season. Uh, this is not an elite roster, okay? This is not a Super Bowl contender roster, but this is a playoff caliber roster. So I think that needs to be made clear. Uh, but no, this is not a Super Bowl contender roster. And if you just dropped an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson onto the commander's uh, they wouldn't automatically be a Super Bowl contender, but they very much would be uh, a playoff contender and a threat to win a playoff game or two. And I guess you could argue that that makes you a Super Bowl contender. But, you know, the roster still has another level to which you'd like to see 
the roster advance. Uh, email from a big-time listener of this podcast, one of many big machers who listen to this podcast, Ambassador Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, uh, writes the ambassador, I hope you are doing well. I have been traveling and listening to a lot of radio and pods, you, Kevin, and JP. Uh, now, the ambassador in his email gets into a lot of stuff. This is quite the email. It is a very impressive email, but uh, a part of the email that I want to read to you has to do with the Denver Broncos and not our commanders trading for Russell Wilson, writes Ambassador Gutman. Once Denver was in play for Wilson, I thought Washington never had a chance. Having nothing to do with Washington's division or Wilson's views of cities slash franchises, rather, Seattle could not and would not trade Wilson without an acceptable plan for how to replace him at quarterback. The Seahawks did not have to trade Wilson, so they would do so only if they thought they had a path forward at quarterback. It was pretty safe to assume at the time of the trade that quarterbacks would be taken in the draft at number five by Carolina or whomever Carolina traded with for a quarterback, at number nine by Denver or whomever Denver traded with for a quarterback, and at number 11 by the Commanders or whomever the Commanders traded with for a quarterback. Seattle likely properly understood that pick number 11 was a great deal worse than pick number nine. By the way, one implication of focusing on this analysis is that it suggests that had the commanders lost the last game of the regular season, the meaningless game that some like you called for them to tank, uh, they would have drafted before Denver and may well likely now have Wilson. Well, thank you for the email, Ambassador. Uh, good topic. If the commander's first round pick in the 2022 draft was a higher pick, was a better pick, would they have Russell Wilson right now? Uh, maybe, but here's the thing. Russell Wilson had the ultimate hammer in the no trade clause in his contract. If Russell Wilson really truly wanted to be on the commanders, he could have told the Seahawks that he wouldn't approve a trade to any team other than the commanders. And then the Seahawks could have either worked out a trade with the commanders or not traded Wilson. Uh, instead, Wilson preferred to play for the Broncos. Uh, that has been reported by multiple people. And it just so happened that Wilson preferring the Broncos coincided with the Seahawks preferring to trade Wilson to an AFC team. So even if the commanders had done as I wanted them to do, and that is lose at the New York Giants in week 18 of the 2021 regular season, it's far from a given that having that higher first round pick in the 2022 draft would have resulted in the commanders landing Russell Wilson. As much as people talk about the Seahawks wanting to trade Wilson to the Broncos, Wilson had veto power with the no trade clause. Uh, that to me does not get talked about nearly enough. Well, what can never be talked about enough if you own or run a business is how to grow your business. And this is where ImageWorks comes in. If you are looking to be more creative and effective with how you run your business, how you communicate and reach customers, and how you operate digitally, then put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company, and ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that offer in moments. But ImageWorks has the talent and experience to make sure that you outshine the competition. ImageWorks is an award-winning full-service marketing agency, web design company, 
and branding firm all in one. Imageworks and you can plan your success strategy, create exceptional brand and web experiences, market your business to your customers, evolve your brand and website experience, and so much more. So what's the offer? Well, Imageworks doesn't want to sell you. Imageworks wants to show you what it can do. And that starts with a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. Imageworks and you will plan with digital web and marketing goals that you can see live via Imageworks customers portal. The portal shows you how all goals are performing in Google Analytics and how all marketing programs and website visitors are behaving. You see, Imageworks is more than a branding and marketing firm. Imageworks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop for business growth. So here's what you do. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. That's imageworkscreative.com. Image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Uh, also, you can call or text the owner of Imageworks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. Make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the free offer. Uh, but Scott's a big fan of all Washington, D.C. area teams. He's a regular listener of this podcast, and he loves brainstorming ideas and technology that can help you grow your business. Scott has been doing what he is doing since 1996. Hit him up, 703-928-7309. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right. It is on Tuesday morning that NFC head coaches will be speaking to reporters at the NFL's annual league meeting in Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, Among those head coaches will be our head coach, the head coach of the commanders, the head commander of the commanders, Ron Rivera. And you can bet that Ron will be asked a good bit about trading for quarterback Carson Wentz earlier this month. It was on Monday morning that AFC head coaches spoke to reporters at the annual league meeting. And believe it or not, Carson Wentz came up a lot then. Uh, Among the head coaches in the AFC, of course, is Indianapolis Colts head coach and former Maryland quarterback Frank Reich, as well as New Jacksonville Jaguars head coach Doug Peterson. Uh, Reich, of course, was Wentz's head coach last season. Uh, Reich also was Wentz's offensive coordinator for his first two NFL seasons. Uh, Reich was the Philadelphia Eagles offensive coordinator for Wentz's first two NFL seasons of 2016 and 2017 seasons. Peterson was the Eagles head coach for all five of Wentz's seasons with the Eagles, 2016 through 2020. Ron Rivera has said that he spoke with both Frank Reich and Doug Peterson about Carson Wentz and that Ron liked what he heard. Now, if what Ron heard was the truth, then that's very good news for us as Commanders fans that what Ron heard from Reich and Peterson. Ron liked from Reich and Peterson. But if Reich and Peterson were just saying nice things to say nice things, and the truth about Wentz is worse than what Ron heard from Reich and Peterson, or the truth about Wentz is at least more complicated than what Ron heard from Reich and Peterson, well, then that is a different story. Uh, The truth with all of this Carson Wentz leadership stuff and personality stuff and coachability stuff matters a lot. Uh, There's too much smoke for there not to be any fire 
There are too many reports and too many anecdotes for them all to be fake news. And don't forget, Wentz at his introductory press conference for the commanders on March 17th admitted that some of the stuff out there is true. Uh, Wentz responded to a question about his reported lack of leadership by saying, quote, for one, reports are reports and there's truth in some things and all those things, end quote. So maybe just maybe Wentz is taking ownership of past mistakes and is learning from those mistakes. And if those things are happening, then that's very good news. But let's get to what Frank Reich and Doug Peterson had to say on Monday morning about Carson Wentz. Now, as was the case with what those guys said to Ron Rivera, you do have to consider the sources and the circumstance. Uh, We know that Reich and Peterson like Wentz. We also know that it really wouldn't benefit Reich or Peterson to publicly rip Wentz or be critical of Wentz in a forum like a media session at the NFL's annual league meeting. So nobody was expecting Reich or Peterson on Monday morning to trash Wentz. Uh, That said, we were interested in what Reich and Peterson would have to say about Wentz. So we start with Frank Reich. Uh, Maybe the biggest red flag with Carson Wentz is that the Colts traded him to the commanders just one year after acquiring him from the Eagles, right? The Colts in March 2021 officially traded a 2022 conditional first round pick and a 2021 third round pick to the Eagles for Wentz. Frank Reich on Monday morning got asked about why the Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for him. Here's what Reich had to say. You know, I spoke a good bit about, you know, the time with Carson, and you guys know how I feel about him. I mean, I love the guy. I really do. And I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's going to play really well for the commanders. Um, and I'm excited to see that. I'm probably just at a, our conversations were all positive. They're always about to, like every player, hey, here's the, way, here's the ways we need to get better. When the season ended, it was like, okay, here's our quick assessment. Let's start, to, let's wait a little bit, then we'll work through it. But um, we as an organization have a lot of, you know, have thought highly of Carson in a lot of ways. Obviously, you traded for him. But then secondly, um, sometimes you, you, can't, you can't explain everything. It's, you know, you want to, but you just, get a, you just have to make a move that you think is right. So Frank Reich on Monday morning said that he, quote, loves, end quote, Carson Wentz. Uh, Reich said that he thinks that Wentz is, quote, a really good quarterback, end quote. But Reich then was rather vague about why the Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for him, even saying toward the end of that cut, quote, sometimes you can't explain everything, end quote. So the obvious question is, why was Reich so vague? Why was Reich so evasive about why the Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for him? Uh, One possible reason is that Reich didn't want to say negative things about Wentz, didn't want to say, hey, I like the guy, but he can be difficult to get along with, and he didn't play well in our final two games last season, and we realized that he wasn't going to be a franchise quarterback for us. However, another possible reason for Reich being so vague about why the Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for him, is that the main reason for Wentz being traded by the Colts was the Colts owner and CEO, Jim Irsay. If you call my conversation with longtime Colts insider Mike Chappell on last Wednesday's show, episode 277, you know that the Colts trading Wentz per Chappell was owner-driven. 
What has never been crystal clear is where Frank Reich and the Colts general manager, Chris Ballard, stood on trading Wentz. Uh, were Reich and Ballard totally on board, or did they perhaps want to run it back with Wentz, but ultimately had to comply with the order of the boss, Jim Ursay, who we know was mad at Wentz for not getting vaccinated for COVID-19? Uh, well, if the latter was the case, if both Reich and Ballard wanted to keep Wentz, wanted to run it back with Wentz, and only Ursay truly wanted to trade Wentz, then that does impact how we should view the Colts trading Wentz just one year after trading for him. More from Frank Reich on Monday morning on why things didn't work out for Carson Wentz with the Colts. Yeah, it's 2022. Not everything, you know, not everything is a storybook ending. I mean, um, so, you know, you have to continue. Those are those are the decisions that an organization has to make, that the leaders of an organization have to make. And as Mr. Ursay and Chris and I sat down, that was just the decision that we felt like was best for our team at this point. So, Frank Reich, quote, it's 2022. Not everything is a storybook ending. End quote. Yet another vague answer from Reich on why the Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for him. Look, a lot of the interpreting of comments from NFL head coaches and press conferences and media sessions is eye of the beholder action, okay? But it's not that much of a stretch to say that how Frank Reich talked on Monday morning about the Colts trading Carson Wentz to the commanders indicated that the trade was in fact owner-driven and maybe even owner-dictated. Here was Frank Reich on Monday morning on what the commanders are getting in Carson Wentz. They're getting um, a player who, first of all, a highly intelligent player who can process a lot of information quickly. They're getting a guy who physically is a prototype NFL quarterback. They're getting a guy who I think can be can be a top ten quarterback. That's what you know. I, I really believe he can be a top ten quarterback. So we all, have, you know, every player has to. That's not just a given, you know. But that that has to that has to be earned and proven. And I, so we're all hoping that that happens for him. All right, Frank Reich, right there, raving about Carson Wentz. Uh, Reich called Wentz quote a highly intelligent player who can process a lot of information quickly, end quote. Uh, Reich said that Wentz is, quote, physically a prototype NFL quarterback, end quote. Reich said that Wentz can be, quote, a top 10 quarterback, end quote. Uh, Again, consider the source, right? Consider the circumstance, understood. But uh, those were some very nice comments from Reich on Wentz. I especially liked Reich saying that Wentz can process a lot of information quickly, Uh, That's maybe the number one trait for a quarterback to have, the ability to process information quickly, you know, quick processing speed, the ability to read a defense quickly and figure out exactly to whom you should throw the football. Uh, So Frank Wright gushed about Carson Wentz, but that still doesn't change that the Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for him. This was Reich on Monday morning on why he's confident that Wentz can do well with the commanders. I think he's proven that on multiple occasions. Um, you know, everybody said, well, you got to stop going back to the 17th season. Well, there's the 19th season. There were moments in this season, you know, so um, I think there's just enough on tape and enough about him as a person that I think everybody understands that to be true. 
Yeah, and as I've said, enough about Carson Wentz's 2017 season, all right? Uh, 2017 was five years ago now. Five years is a lifetime in the NFL. To say nothing of the many injuries with which Wentz has dealt since his success in the 2017 season. Wentz, in December 2017, suffered a torn left ACL. Wentz, in December 2018, missed the Eagles' final three regular season games due to a back injury. Wentz, in January 2020, left the Eagles' home loss to the Seattle Seahawks in the wildcard round of the NFL playoffs due to a concussion. Wentz, for the Colts, in the 2021 regular season, did play in all 17 games, but he underwent a procedure on his left foot in August 2021. If you're trying to be realistic about a best-case scenario for Carson Wentz with the Commanders, forget about the 2017 season. The things to focus on are his more recent, decent, if not good seasons. Uh, Like, as Frank Reich said, the 2019 and 2021 seasons. Remember, Wentz for the 2021 regular season was number nine among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in total QBR per ESPN at 54.7. I mean, it's hard to be horrible and be top 10 in the NFL in total QBR. Now to the comments of Doug Peterson on Monday morning about Carson Wentz. Uh, Frank Wright coached Wentz for three seasons. Peterson coached Wentz for five seasons. Peterson on Monday morning was asked what the commanders are getting in Carson Wentz. Here was Peterson's answer. They're getting a tremendous leader. Uh, they're getting a, a, great, a, really, a really good quarterback. They're getting a guy that uh, is going to lead that football team. Uh, he's going to lead that locker room. Um, you know, he's going to do everything on and off the football field, you know, to help that team win. All right, interesting that Doug Peterson in that answer focused so much on Carson Wentz's leadership, right? I mean, Peterson was given a blank canvas. He was asked what the commanders are getting in Wentz, and Peterson went right to leadership, which is something of Wentz that has been questioned. Uh, Colts insider Zach Kiefer of The Athletic, in a piece that came out on March 9th, wrote the following about why the Colts were trading Wentz. Quote, as for the Colts, the issues with Wentz stretch back to before the season began, one source said. And over the course of the year, some grew frustrated at what they deemed a lack of leadership, a resistance to hard coaching and a reckless style of play, which had a role in several close losses. But this wasn't just a football move. Wentz's play, inconsistent as it was to close the year, wasn't the deciding factor. Colts brass simply didn't trust him to be the franchise quarterback moving forward, and they weren't willing to bring him back in 2022 and hope for better. Thus, the decision was made swiftly after the Week 18 debacle in Jacksonville. Wentz wouldn't return for a second season in Indianapolis, end quote. Uh, We also have this regarding Carson Wentz, the leader. Uh, Eagles insider Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer in a piece that came out on March 10th included the following about Carson Wentz in the Eagles' 2017 Super Bowl championship season, during which he suffered that torn left ACL in December 2017 and then saw Nick Foles lead the Eagles to their first ever Super Bowl title. Quote, sometime before the championship game, Wentz voiced his displeasure with the Eagles' success to a group of other injured players. Sources with direct knowledge of the incident said, one of the players immediately confronted him and the two eventually had to be separated. 
Wentz certainly had his supporters or those that sympathized with the obstacles he faced in Philly. If he was more successful, others would have likely been willing to overlook some of his personality quirks. But the Eagles' pre-draft evaluation didn't place enough emphasis on questionable character traits or that he lacked the mental strength to accept hard coaching and personnel decisions that directly affected him. End quote. So Doug Peterson was the Eagles head coach for all of that. Again, Peterson was the Eagles head coach for the entirety of Wentz's tenure with the Eagles, 2016 through 2020. And if all of what especially Jeff McClain reported is true, uh, and yet Peterson still brings up Wentz's leadership as the first thing in an answer regarding what the commanders are getting in Wentz, that's kind of interesting now, isn't it? Now, was Peterson lying with what he said? Or was Peterson maybe trying to say, hey, not everything that you've heard and read about this guy is true? Uh, Peterson on Monday morning got asked a follow-up question regarding all of these reports and rumors about Wentz lacking in leadership and not always getting along with teammates. Uh, Here was Peterson's response to that. Well, I mean, I only know him from a couple years ago, you know, and, and it's hard to speak, you know, uh, what he did last year in Indy and, and obviously what he can do in Washington. But, you know, the guys the guys respond to him. Um, you know, even even him embracing the young guys and really getting them kind of involved in the offseason and how, how he approaches that, you know, I think is what they're going to see in him. Um, and, uh, you know, they're getting, they're getting a guy that, uh, you know, is going to come in there and work hard and try to turn things around. All right, so more positive thoughts from Doug Peterson on Carson Wentz, the person. Peterson, later in his session with reporters on Monday morning, was asked, what's key to Wentz succeeding with the commanders? Here was Peterson's answer to that. Well, I mean, just just be Carson. You know, just come in there and, and lead like he knows how to lead. Get everybody involved on offense. Get the defensive guys involved. Just just be him. You know, he doesn't have to do anything other than that, really. And, and uh, you know, they're going to be okay. So, right there, even more from Doug Peterson suggesting that Carson Wentz is a quality leader. Uh, personally, I do think that you have to take all of these nice things that Frank Reich and Doug Peterson say about Carson Wentz with skepticism. At the same time, though, that doesn't mean that everything that Reich and Peterson say about Wentz isn't true. And so when it comes to all of the Carson Wentz red flags that we've talked about so much, here are the things that I'm hoping are true. Uh, Number one, Ron Rivera and the commanders truly did good due diligence. Uh, To that end, we did have this on Monday from Commander's General Manager Martin Mayhew. Quote, you've got to look at the total situation there. And we did a lot of investigation of what happened in Philly and what happened in Indy and had really good talks with Frank. Frank's a former teammate of mine, Frank Reich from Buffalo. I know he's talked a lot with Coach Rivera, and I talked a lot with Chris Ballard about the situation there. We felt very comfortable. End quote. All right. I mean, I hope that all of that is true, because if all of that is true, then that is encouraging. Uh, A second thing that I'm hoping is true regarding the Carson Wentz red flags is that the Colts trading Wentz just one year after trading for him was mostly, if not entirely, due to the owner, Jim Irsay, that the head coach, Frank Reich, 
and the general manager, Chris Ballard, were open to at least another year with Wentz as the team's QB1. Uh, I do think that it matters if, in fact, Jim Ursay was the true driving force behind the Colts trading Wentz just one season after trading for him, and that Reich and Ballard were wanting or at least open to Wentz being back with the Colts for a second season with the team. And then a third thing that I'm hoping is true regarding the Carson Wentz red flags is that Wentz, to whatever extent he has made mistakes, has owned up to those mistakes and is learning from those mistakes. I think you're being very naive if you think that Carson Wentz has had a halo over his head throughout his NFL career and has never been guilty of any of the things that have been reported about him. But that doesn't mean that he can't acknowledge those mistakes and improve, you know? I mean, we know that Carson Wentz is very religious, right? So uh, God teaches us to be humble. Hopefully, Wentz has humbled himself here and has learned from his mistakes to whatever extent he has made mistakes. If all three of these things are true, then I do think that we have real reason to feel better about the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz. But if these three things are not true, uh, well, then we're likely to have some problems here. And we're probably going to be talking next offseason about a continued commander's quest for a franchise quarterback. Up next, our special guest, NFL agent and former Redskins salary cap analyst, J.I. Hulsell. Uh, we'll talk Carson Wentz contract, potential contract extensions for Terry McLaurin and Deron Payne, what it was like for J.I. to work for Dan Snyder, and much more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, let's talk Commander's offseason and Commander's contracts and Commander's salary cap with a special guest. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, NFL agent and former Redskins salary cap analyst, J.I. Wholesale. Uh, J.I. worked for the Skins as a salary cap analyst from March 2007 to January 2009. Uh, he is a local. He went to Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C. You can follow J.I. on Twitter at salary cap 101. J.I., it's great to talk to you, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you've always been so good at explaining NFL contracts and salary cap implications. So I just wanted to bounce a bunch of commander stuff off you. Uh, let's start with the general salary cap situation for the commanders. So they were primed to have a lot of cap space this offseason. That space got cut into quite a bit with the trade for Carson Wentz. Are you surprised that the commanders, in addition to giving up multiple draft picks for Wentz, took on the entirety of his contract? Not really, considering the fact that they knew they were moving on from Landon Collins, right? And I know that, you know, right now, because of the way they released Landon, they're they're using the post-June 1 designation. And what does that mean? It means that from now until June 1st, they're going to carry Landon's full 2022 cap number of just under 16 million but when we get to june 1st without going into all the details they'll gain almost 12 million dollars in cap space via that release so it doesn't offset in its entirety taking on carson wentz's 28 million dollar cap number but it does help right and so given the need at the position uh given the player given the position landon plays and uh, the fact that they had probably decided a while ago to move on from him short of him taking a pay cut, the, the, the numbers to me make sense that those two things really had a lot to do with each other. Carson Wentz for the 2022 season has a cap hit of $28.3 million, uh, three years left on his contract, but the guaranteed money is essentially done with after this coming season, should the commanders have renegotiated Wentz's contract to give themselves more cap room this offseason? Or do you think that maintaining the ability to get out of the Wentz contract after this season with no dead money is worth the price of less cap room this offseason? Yeah, it's worth the price. At the end of the day, when you are trying to build a roster and trying to manage the cap, you want to keep as much flexibility as possible so that if things go sideways and don't work out, you can move on. Um, you know, conversely, you know, you if the, if he does pan out, then yeah, you still reserve the right to extend him. But there's no need to uh, play that card just yet. Um, when you look at what the current quarterback market is, where quarterbacks are getting in excess of forty million dollars per year, to have Carson Wentz over the next three seasons at an average of $27 million per year is, a, a, relatively speaking, uh, of value. Um, and there is a little bit of guaranteed money left in the deal in that 
he's got $4 million next year that becomes guaranteed if he's on the roster on the third day of free agency. But it's a, in the scheme of managing cap, it's an immaterial number. If anything, it forces you to make a decision on him. Um, That's a long-winded way of saying, no, you don't do anything with the deal just yet. You, You control his rights for the next three years and kind of see how it goes from year to year. Yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, Getting away from Carson Wentz contractually, uh, you're a football fan. From a football standpoint, what do you think about the commanders trading for Carson Wentz? Uh, They'll, of course, be his third team in three seasons. There are a number of questions out there about Wentz the guy, but can you see him doing well for the commanders? I can can see the upside. If we're getting the Carson Wentz who was on path or on track to be an MVP before blowing out his knee, then you absolutely make this trade. Um, Even if you're not getting that version of Carson Wentz, generally speaking, he's probably still an upgrade at, you know, versus what you currently had on the roster. Um, We all know the importance of the position. um, So to get a guy who has a little bit of a track record, and sure, there are some negative aspects to that track record. um, But, you know, not to go back to the contract, but when you think about what the contract is and the value relative to the quarterback market for a guy who could have been an MVP a few seasons back, um, I think you roll the dice um, at the quarterback position. So I like to trade. Um, and, you know, yeah, dude, are we concerned about his leadership and you know, hard coaching and all those pieces? Sure. You know, does he have some Jameis Winston in him in terms of turning the ball over at critical moments? Sure. But again, I still think he's an upgrade over what you had currently on the roster. We are talking commander's contracts and salary cap with NFL agent and former Redskins salary cap analyst J.I. Wholesale. Uh, so a big topic in the Washington, D.C. area has been a potential commander's contract extension for Terry McLaurin this offseason. What do you think that a contract extension for Terry that he would be willing to sign this offseason would have to look like? I think it's simply put, it looks like the DJ Moore contract signed, you know, not too long ago, a couple of days ago. Um, one, I think it's important that you extend Terry McLaurin because he is the model of what you want both in the locker room and on the field. Um, and you want to reward those guys because the players in the locker room are looking at that. Um, when you look at what DJ Moore just recently signed for a deal that's on average 20.6 million per year, um, you know, it's not the high end of the wide receiver market. You know, when you look at, uh, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, at least on paper being 28 and $30 million per year, respectively. Um, I don't think Terry's at that level, but I think the DJ Moore comparison is very, um, accurate. And so it would seem that, yeah, if you just mimic the DJ Moore contract where, again, it's $20.6 million per year, $41.6 million guaranteed, uh, that is a deal that is uh, probably about right for Terry McLaurin. A lot was made of the Tyreek Hill contract extension with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the terms that his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, put out there were jaw-dropping, right? Four years, $120 million, uh, $30 million per year. Well, we now know that the total money in the contract is inflated big time by the money in the final season of the extension, the 2026 season, uh, money that Hill may never see. So is the Tyreek Hill extension the game changer that we thought, 
or not so much? Not so much. I think for the casual fan, for the media, for the agents, uh, yeah, you want to put the big number out there because it resonates with the casual fan. But for the people who do this professionally for a living, they know what the real deal is. And so, yeah, it's going to help Drew Rosenhaus in recruiting. Yeah, I got Tyreek Hill $30 million per year. And a kid and his family who's being recruited, they're not going to know the nuanced details of what is real with that $30 million number. So, but when you're talking to a, a cap guy at a club, everyone knows really what these deals are, whether we're talking about Tyreek's deal or whether, whether we're talking about Devontae Adams' deal to a degree. Um, so it, it's not necessarily a game changer. These continue to be, you know, expensive deals for wide receivers, and it's one of the markets that has increased significantly over the past couple of years. It's just it hasn't increased to $30 million per year, which is – more than what Carson Wentz is actually making on a per-year basis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, another Commanders player who's a candidate to get a contract extension this offseason is Deron Payne. Uh, Payne's a tricky guy to figure out. His stats, both traditional and advanced, don't overwhelm you, but everyone agrees that he's talented, and the Commanders have lost two key backup interior defensive lineman this offseason in Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle. So presumably there now is even more of a need for the team to keep Deron Payne long term. What kind of money are we looking at in a potential Deron Payne contract extension? You know, and another wrinkle in terms of the considerations with Payne's deal is the fact that Jonathan Allen's at $18 million per year as an interior defensive lineman. And Again, going back to managing the players in your locker room, you have to be very sensitive to what does that dynamic look like if Jerron Payne is getting a contract more than Jonathan Allen or if he's getting a contract that's less than Jonathan Allen, which I don't think he would necessarily take. So that's another wrinkle when you're trying to figure out what's the right market value for Jerron Payne. Um, like I said, Jonathan Allen's at $18 million per year. You've got other defensive tackles who are kind of in that 17 range. My sense is, is that's probably the right spot for Deron Payne. But again, how does the Jonathan Allen situation kind of figure into this? Do you decide to move on from Deron Payne? Do you try to trade him? Um, do you consider franchise tagging him? Um, there's a lot of different considerations um, with, the, with the Payne situation that aren't uh, typical when you're working on a contract extension for a player. Well, all I know is before we had Will Smith and Chris Rock, we had John Allen <laughs> and Deron Payne on Sunday Night Football. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In December. So they did it first, okay? Not Will and Chris. Let's make that clear. Uh, I want to get your take on a commander's free agency controversy this offseason. What happened with J.D. McKissick, uh, the commanders, for whatever reason, didn't make him a contract offer. He, during the legal tampering period, agreed on a deal with the Buffalo Bills. The commanders then gave McKissick the same contract that the Bills had offered him, and he reneged on his deal with the Bills to re-sign with the commanders. Uh, the Bills general manager, Brandon Bean, has publicly ripped the commanders, though interestingly has made it a point uh, not to be critical of McKissick or his agents. But from your perspective, what do you make of the whole J.D. McKissick situation? It's, it's one of the challenges of the quote-unquote legal tampering period is that while teams and 
players slash agents can talk and exchange proposals during this period, there is nothing that binds either party to the quote-unquote agreed terms, right? And so it becomes a kind of a gentleman's handshake agreement that you're going to, yeah, I'm going to go sign in Buffalo. But there's nothing that precludes another club, whether we're talking about Washington in this case, or it could have been another team that kind of swooped in and said, hey, I know you've agreed to this with Buffalo, but we're willing to pay you a million per year more to come here. That's the challenge. This isn't unique to Washington. It's not unique to Buffalo. This is just the challenge with the legal tampering period. And we even saw this with Zadarius Smith and the Ravens in that he came to an agreement with the Ravens and then he saw what Vaughn Miller got on the market and, and other edge rushers. And he decided, you know what? I'm not going to Baltimore. I think I can get more elsewhere. So it's kind of, I think at this point, while I understand Buffalo's frustration they still should not be surprised because this type of thing happens every single year during the legal tampering period as we get into free agency. It's just you can't – there's nothing that really ties the club and the player to that agreement. Um, things can change once we get to the start of the league year. Isn't it also a little ridiculous to point the finger of blame only at the commanders. Like, I get if you're Bean, you don't want to make an enemy out of McKissick or his agents, but I mean, come on. Like, the idea that the commanders forced McKissick to resign with them, like, no, at the end of the day, he wanted to go back to them, right? Exactly. At the end of the day, you know, the, the player, you know, he won. Look, this is how this practice played out. He, he hadn't heard from Washington. He and his agent had heard from Buffalo. They agreed to numbers. In the back of his mind, he knew that, you know what, all things being equal, if Washington were to reach out to me, I'd probably rather be there. I don't want to go learn a new scheme, all those pieces. And when Washington ultimately did come reach out, yeah, you can't you can't knock the player. That's the that's the this is why players want free agents. They want to be able to pick and choose their spot. And so yeah, you can't you can't knock the guy necessarily for um wanting that, and you can't really blame Wash, put the blame on Washington either. Looking beyond just the commanders, the Deshaun Watson contract with the Cleveland Browns, five years, $230 million fully guaranteed. Uh, is this the contract that will lead to many more fully guaranteed NFL contracts? Uh, we heard that four years ago with Kirk Cousins' first fully guaranteed contract with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, that contract ended up not changing things as much as some people thought that that contract would change things. What about this new Watson contract? I, I, I don't think it's any different than the Kirk Cousins deal from, a, from the standpoint of changing the trajectory in which we do or do not do guaranteed contracts. I think that clubs are very good at saying, oh, the Kirk Cousins contract is, was an anomaly. Uh, you know, he had Washington over over the barrel, and then he had a bidding war between Minnesota and the Jets, and that's what led to that deal. Uh, Deshaun Watson deals an anomaly. We're not going to use that as a compass. We try to do this next quarterback extension. You know, he he had multiple bidders, and uh, Cleveland was the only team that you know would have done that type of deal. So we're going to kind of throw that one out. So clubs are very good at making those excuses for why a deal. Um, does not make sense. At the end of the day, if a club wants to fully guarantee a contract, they can fully guarantee a contract. But again, it's uh, it's all too convenient for clubs to throw these deals out, whether we're talking about Deshaun Watson or Kirk Cousins, 
out as outliers slash anomalies. And so we're not going to we're not going to repeat that same structure. When it comes to the NFL salary cap number, uh, down 2020 to 2021 due to the pandemic, but shoots right back up for 2022 at $208.2 million. Uh, The NFL is about to be swimming in money like never before with these new television contracts. Do you, in fact, think that we are headed toward a $300 million salary cap sometime relatively soon? Oh, without a doubt. Um, We may be at three hundred. By the 2025 season, if wow. not sooner. <laughs> I mean, we we could get there very quickly. And I think, you know, speaking of the DJ Moore contract, that's a three year extension. I think you're going to see players do those types of deals. The days of doing the five year extension, the six year extension, those aren't smart players and agents. They're not doing those deals anymore because the cap is going to explode so exponentially that you want your client or you want players to be able to take advantage of that. And yeah, we could get to $300 million very, very quickly. And therefore, from a player standpoint, you want to be able to take advantage of that. I do want to ask you about the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. You worked for the Redskins as a salary cap analyst from March 2007 to January 2009. Uh, that is prime time for when a lot of the alleged misdeeds in the scandal were taking place. Are you surprised by everything that has come out in the scandal or not really? Not really. I think one, and I think this is important. I think this is not unique to Washington. Um, my sense is, is that around, and this is not to condone or make excuses for what has happened in Washington, but this is not unique to Washington. This has happened across the league in football in other professional leagues. I think, though, when you have the media coverage in Washington of that organization and when the owner is so polarizing and has made a lot of enemies. It just makes it a lot easier to bring attention to it. And we've obviously seen that over the past two plus years, the amount of attention, which then led to an investigation. And so yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, again, I just think that the Washington organization is being made an example of this will no longer be tolerated in professional sports this should not be tolerated in the corporate world and we're going to make an example out of you and to a point uh, you know yeah obviously i think the end goal for a lot of people in this is to see an ownership change and um if the heat continues to be put on the nfl as a result of what has happened in ashburn um i don't i think it's very plausible that down the road you could see an ownership change and hopefully that then Um, is the example for sports, for the corporate world, on why you cannot behave this way um, organizationally. Wow. How was Dan to work for when you worked for him? I I learned very quickly how to read uh, nonverbals and body language. (laughs) Don't get me me wrong. There are times where Dan is like very engaging and, you know, you can just – the energy that he gives off is like, yeah, I grew up rooting for this team and now I own it. And and, and he's, appro- he's approachable. And then there were other times where he's like, I think I'm going to keep my distance because I value receiving a paycheck and I love what I do. Um, so you, you just kind of learn kind of to read those nonverbals. But I think when you look at 
in its totality, in its totality, the track record there and the air of fear and the day that he took ownership of the team, longtime employees getting fired. Like, there's just, it, there's been a lot there. Um, and so, you know, I, I enjoyed my, my two plus years there as, as a kid who grew up, you know, in PG County. And, you know, my first season there was with Coach Gibbs. And, um, but yeah, you, you know, again, Parts parts of Dan mean really really well, and again he grew up rooting for that team. Um, but there have been other parts of it that have not been handled really well and have not been handled professionally. And uh, we'll see how everything plays out moving forward. Yes, we will. Ji, I really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much for your insight and your time, and all the best to you. I appreciate it, man. Well, so much for the Capitals' wonderful month of March. Uh, I, on Monday's show, episode 280, talked about the Caps having been 9-2-1 this month. Uh, Well, the success in this month of March came to a screeching halt on Monday night. Uh, The Caps on Monday night got humbled. A 6-1 loss to the Metropolitan Division-leading Carolina Hurricanes at Capital One Arena. Uh, the Hurricanes, as our friend the Iron Sheik would say, made the Caps humble. Make him humble. Yes, Sheiky baby, make him humble. Uh, that's exactly what happened to our Capitals on Monday night. Uh, the Caps now are 37-21-10 this season, still at 84 points this season, still 15 points ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets for the second wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. The top two wild card teams in each conference will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Caps still are three points behind the Boston Bruins for the top wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. But the Caps now are 11 points behind the Hurricanes, and the Caps have just 14 regular season games left. So any notion of the Caps winning the Metro, to whatever extent that notion existed, uh, appears to have gone bye-bye. This was the Caps' first loss to the Hurricanes this season. The Caps concluded a 3-1-0 regular season against the Hurricanes. The Caps actually had played the Hurricanes well this season, but the Caps did not play well on Monday night. So you have to wonder about the Caps' mindset going into this game against the Hurricanes at Capital One Arena on Monday night. Uh, This game was the Caps' final game before a five-day break. Uh, So this was a getaway game in many ways for the Caps. Uh, Five-day break, and uh, also the Caps set to have the next two days off. The Caps were due to be totally off on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, The Caps' next game isn't until this Sunday night, uh, home to the Minnesota Wild at 7. So were the Caps checked out on Monday night? Uh, Were the Caps on Monday night already on their mini break? Uh, Well, the Caps certainly began the game that way. The Caps had a terrible first period. Uh, The Caps lost the first period to nothing. The Caps in the first period per natural stat trick had just a 12 five-on-five shot attempts to the Hurricanes' 21, including just two five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Hurricanes' five. The Caps in the first period totaled just five shots on goal to the Hurricanes' 10. Uh, Caps head coach Peter Laviolette loves to use some version of the phrase chasing the game when the Caps start off a game poorly. Now, he actually did not use some version of that phrase during his post-game press conference on Monday night, but he clearly was not happy about the way 
that the Caps started the game. Uh, the Caps' goaltending on Monday night was terrible. Vitek Vanacek was the Caps' starting goaltender for a 10th time in 13 games, but he stopped just 18 of the 23 shots on goal that he faced. He was pulled after two periods and replaced by Ilya Samsonov, who in the third period stopped just five of the six shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped just five of the nine high-danger shots on goal that he faced. So goaltending, which has been a concern if you're a Caps fan for basically the entire season, uh, continues to very much be a concern. By the way, not a single goal that the Caps gave up on Monday night was a Hurricanes power play goal. Uh, The Caps went 4-4 on the penalty kill. So it's not like Vanacek or Samsonov gave up multiple power play goals. No, five of the Hurricanes' six goals were even strength goals, and the other goal was a short-handed goal. Uh, The Caps gave up another shorty. Uh, This has been an issue for them going back to last season. The Caps went 0-4 on the power play and gave up a shorthanded goal to Sebastian Ajo. What an Ajo! Uh, 8.35 into the second period. Here was Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Monday night. We weren't good in the first period. Um, There were some there were some things and mistakes that we made in the second period. We we're competing, but there were some mistakes that we made. On uh, there was mistakes on two of the three goals. The shorthanded goal didn't help, and uh, the last goal was a ricochet. It was just a redirect off of somebody's hip, and it went into the top shelf. And so, um, you know, the first period we needed to be a lot better. Yes, you did. Uh, Tom Wilson scored the Caps' lone goal, which was a second-period, even-strength, unassisted goal. Uh, Wilson did commit two penalties, a third-period unsportsmanlike conduct minor and a third-period fighting major, but Wilson's goal gives him a five-game point streak. Uh, He has three goals and three assists over his last five games. Alex Ovechkin had a game-high seven shots on goal and a game-high 11 shot attempts, so you like those things, but uh, Ovi did commit a penalty, a second-period tripping minor, and Ovi finished with a plus-minus rating of minus three. Uh, the Caps uh, were physical in the game. They ended up out hitting the Hurricanes 45-26, but uh, the Caps ultimately got ripped in the game, and so now comes this break and a chance for the Caps to get healthier. Uh, hopefully, the Caps start to get some people back uh, once the Caps are back to playing games here. Center Nick Dowd now has not played in each of the Caps' last five games due to an upper body injury. Forward Coral Haglin remains out indefinitely off having undergone left eye surgery on March 1st. He suffered the injury in practice earlier that day. Forward Johan Larson still has not made his Caps debut off the Caps having acquired him on NHL trade deadline day now two Mondays ago. Uh, Larson is recovering from sports hernia surgery that he underwent in early February. Forward Joe Snively remains out due to a left wrist injury. The Caps on March 6th announced that he had undergone a left wrist procedure and would be out four to six weeks. And defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk has not played in each of the Caps' last five games due to an upper body injury. More from LaViolette during his postgame press conference on Monday night. Tonight didn't go our way. And so it's, uh, again, it's hard to paint the month with the brush tonight and say it wasn't good or it wasn't consistent. There was a lot of good things that we did. Certainly, uh, you leave tonight and um, everybody's got a bad taste in their mouth. But I don't know if you can paint the whole month with with one brush and say it, it was tonight. Yeah, just a bad night for the Caps. And when they're back from their break, uh, they're going to be tested. Uh, each of the Caps' next four games is against a good team. Uh, this Sunday night, home to the Minnesota Wild at 7. Wednesday night, April 6th, 
home to the Tampa Bay Lightning, Saturday afternoon, April 9th at the Pittsburgh Penguins, and Sunday afternoon, April 10th, home to the Boston Bruins. Uh, Those are four of the better teams in the NHL this season, and they're all coming up for the Caps. Well, the Nationals have been making cuts as the team gets closer to opening day on April 7th. Uh, The Nats on Monday afternoon announced multiple roster moves, including one that in the moment wasn't surprising, but in the bigger picture was. Uh, The Nats on Monday afternoon optioned Luis Garcia to AAA Rochester. Uh, This is a guy who some have viewed as the Nats' second baseman or shortstop of the future, but he now has been cut more than a week away from opening day. Now, let me make clear that Luis Garcia has never been a highly regarded prospect in terms of overall prospects in baseball, but he had been viewed as one of the Nats' better prospects. He ended last season as an everyday player for the Nats, and the hope and belief, as of a few weeks ago anyway, uh, were that he would be an everyday player for the Nats' this coming regular season, but uh, clearly that's not happening. Uh, The 2022 season will be Garcia's age 22 season. He overall has struggled offensively at the major league level. That is true. Garcia in 386 major league plate appearances over the last two regular seasons has a batting average of just 254 an on-base percentage of just 285, and a slugging percentage of just 395. However, Garcia last September uh, was pretty good offensively. He, for the month of September 2021, had a batting average of 271, did have an on-base percentage of just 291, but had a slugging percentage of 477. Now, something that comes up quite a bit with Luis Garcia is his inconsistency on defense, and it is true that he has been inconsistent on defense. Uh, If you watch Nats games, you know Garcia can make the spectacular play, but uh, then struggle with the routine play. But to me, you've got to let a young player work his way through something like that. And you know what? Garcia, for the 2021 regular season, over 458 and the third innings at second base, had plus two defensive runs saved. So it's not like he was some train wreck defensively per the advanced metrics. Uh, The Nats are a rebuilding team, right? They're coming off a 97 loss 2021 regular season. The upcoming 2022 regular season should be about the rebuild, right? Getting younger players playing time, figuring out what you have and what you don't have. That Luis Garcia already has been demoted to AAA is disappointing, especially considering what the Nats starting infield is set to include. Uh, Barring the unforeseen, the Nats starting infield is going to include Cesar Hernandez at second base and Alcides Escobar at shortstop. Uh, That certainly is the way that things have been trending for a while now. Cesar Hernandez is entering his age 32 season. Alcides Escobar is entering his age 35 season. Uh, Why the heck is a rebuilding team like the Nats going with two 30-somethings who, in the long term, aren't taking the team anywhere? And so because we know that Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo isn't a dummy, okay? Mike Rizzo knows what he's doing. I think what you potentially have going on here are a few things. Uh, A, the Nats may just not be big believers in Luis Garcia, or at the very least uh, may think that he's further away from being major league ready than the numbers suggest. B, Rizzo believes that Cesar Hernandez and Alcides Escobar 
can be trade chips. Uh, you know, the Nats farm system still is not in great shape. The Nats very much need to add more quality prospects to the team system. And so to me, maybe the biggest storyline for the Nats this upcoming season is having more trade chips who can be dealt come the summer. Uh, the Nats very much need to add to their inventory of prospects. And if a Cesar Hernandez or an Alcides Escobar can help you do that, so be it. I mean, I don't think we should have delusions of, you know, massive holes coming back for the likes of Cesar Hernandez uh, and Alcides Escobar. But if you can get a prospect or two, then who knows? Uh, The hope with Luis Garcia had been that he might be a foundational piece, you know, a building block. And I think if you're a Nats fan, you have to come to terms with at least the possibility that that's just not the case, you know, at least in the eyes of the Nats. Uh, They don't view him necessarily as Nats fans had been viewing him. You know, it's tough. Luis Garcia, Victor Robles, Carter Keeboom, all three guys were viewed as potential building blocks, but all three guys are having issues here. Uh, Garcia on Monday afternoon got optioned to AAA Rochester. Robles on Monday was playing in minor league camp, and the Nats had D. Strange Gordon as their starting center fielder in their major league exhibition game. Uh, Robles, who has been really bad over the last two regular seasons, uh, he in this 2022 Grapefruit League season is 0 of 11 with a hit by pitch. And Keeboom right now is on the 60-day injured list with a right elbow UCL sprain and a right flexor mass strain. Uh, Hopefully guys like, you know, Josiah Gray and Lane Thomas and Riley Adams prove to be building blocks. And hopefully, especially with Garcia and Robles, these guys aren't lost causes. You know, it's not necessarily the case that they are lost causes. Uh, It's just that, you know, so far, uh, not so good uh, for some of the rebuilding Nats young players. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 282, will feature in-depth reaction to whatever the head coach of the commanders, the commander of the commanders, Rod Rivera, has to say on Tuesday morning in Palm Beach, Florida, at the NFL's annual league meeting, NFC head coaches will be speaking to reporters on Tuesday morning. Also on Wednesday's show, I'll talk Wizards. Hey, remember, the Wiz are hot. Uh, They have a winning streak for the first time in two and a half months. So the Wizards will host the Chicago Bulls Tuesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. They're getting um, a player who, first of all, a highly intelligent player who can process a lot of information quickly. They're getting a guy who physically is a prototype NFL quarterback. They're getting a guy who I think can be can be a top ten quarterback. That's what you know. I, I really believe he can be a top ten quarterback.